Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. You guys doing good today? You're looking good. Well, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision. I'm excited to be with you today. And before we get going, I want to celebrate a couple of things. First of all, last weekend was Easter. It was a blast. And we had a whole bunch of people at Revision say yes to Jesus for the very first time. And I think that's awesome and worth getting excited about. Second thing, if you're new here or newish here, you might not be aware of this, but we give a portion of every dollar that comes in to starting new churches because new churches reach new people in new ways. And so our mission is to help as many people as possible meet Jesus and follow him fully. So we're not just trying to build a big old revision church. We are in the business of giving our money and our time and our coaching and our people and absolutely everything we can to other churches to help them get started. And last weekend, our newest church plant, Arrows Church, launched in Omaha. Yeah. They had over 280 people at their launch, and a whole bunch of people said yes to Jesus for the first time at Arrows Church, too. And so let's get excited about that. That's awesome. I just want to say thank you to you guys, because that doesn't happen without your generosity, without your willingness to give funding their church without your willingness to to allow me to spend time on stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with revision and, and coach them up. That doesn't happen. And so just thank you guys for your generosity. It's making a kingdom difference. This morning, we're kicking off a brand new series called Reassembly Required, a Beginner's Guide to Repairing Broken Relationships. And if you guys are anything like me, and by that I mean human and alive, if you're checking both those boxes, and most of you are, I think this series is going to be super valuable because every one of us has relationships in our lives that are not where we want them to be and we need a little bit of help to get them there because it's hard sometimes to figure it all out. I was driving a couple weeks ago and I heard the Beatles song, We Can Work It Out on the radio. I love the Beatles. I've heard that song a bunch of times, but I had never really thought about the lyrics before. They sing, try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can't go on? We see it your way, run the risk of knowing our love might soon be gone. We can work it out. We can work it out. Life is very short and there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friends. I've always thought that it's a crime, so I'll ask you once again, try to see it my way. Only time will tell if I'm right or if I'm wrong. Well, you see it your way, there's a chance we might fall apart before too long. We can work it out. We can work it out. I heard it and I thought, my wife needs to listen to this song. I'm putting it on the car next time me and Jenny are driving together because we got this reassembly required series coming up at Revision. I'm supposed to stand up and tell people how to fix broken, imperfect relationships. And here I have an imperfect marriage. And the biggest reason for that is that Jenny sees things her way and I see things the right way. And if she just starts seeing things my way, we could go a long way. We could work it out, right? We laugh at that because every single one of us relates to that thought. You're going, finally someone understands my plight with all these difficult, wrong people. But seriously, whatever relationships in your life are broken, whether they're fresh or they've been messed up for a long time, whether it's with your spouse or your kids or your parents or your boss or your coworkers or your neighbors or anybody else, any relationship in your life that could use a little reassembly right now, 
I want you to know you're not alone in that. Like if you feel like you are on the end of your rope with your kids, that doesn't make you a terrible mother, it makes you normal, okay? If you feel like you're getting on each other's last nerve and your marriage is doomed, that doesn't make you a horrible husband, it makes you normal. If you feel like your boss or your teacher or your coach is the worst, that doesn't mean it's time to take out an ad for a hitman on Craigslist. Don't, just don't do it. It just means you're normal. But here's the problem. Normal isn't working that well for most of us. We need something different. And over the course of this series, we're going to talk about not only putting into our relationships everything God intends for us to put in, but also getting out of our relationships everything God intends for us to get out. And this whole series is going to boil down to one single, simple principle that is like Relationship Repair 101. It's not graduate level stuff. This is entry level stuff. And so fair warning, if you've done serious damage to somebody you love, you're probably going to have more to do and deeper to go than just this simple principle. But I can guarantee you, you will never get where you want to go. It will never stick. And what's broken will never fully be healed unless you start here because this is step one. And it's a surprising secret to every relationship ever because it's something God actually knit into the fabric of the universe. And we're going to dive straight in this morning. I'm not going to wait to make you find out what it is. I'm laying all my cards on the table right away. We'll go from there. If you've got a Bible or a Bible handy, crack it open to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. This is a letter that Paul wrote to a church he had planted in the city of Ephesus during a time where they were experiencing intense persecution that had frankly, caused their relationships to suffer because that's what hard seasons do. And Paul wrote to them in Ephesians 5, verse 21, hey, in the middle of all this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is it, you guys. That is the ticket. That is the secret sauce. That is the entire big idea of relationship repair 101. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, that can't be it. You're kidding me, right, Mike? There's got to be more to it than that. You haven't even, you know, included all the different factors, man. Like, if you really knew my parents, if you really knew my boss, if you knew the truth about my husband or or my wife, there's no way you'd be up on that stage telling me I need to submit to them. Because I I would get taken advantage of or even abused emotionally, if, if nothing else. And if you knew my kids, oh my goodness, what do you mean submit to each other? What would that even look like to submit to my kids? There'd be unlimited screen time, no bedtime, no one would ever go to school, ice cream, three meals a day. That would be a complete and utter disaster. This is a cute little verse, but it can't be quite right. That cannot be the way, can it? Can it? It can, and it is. As I hear myself say those words out loud to all of you, I'm thinking we should have done the offering before the message this morning. That's how you're going to know in the future. If the message ever happens after the offering, I'm just going to be offensive to everyone. But, but for real, this idea of mutual submission to every single person around us for the sake of Jesus Christ is absolutely revolutionary. It's just deeply uncomfortable for us because it flies in the face of all of our natural inclinations. In fact, it's it's our unwillingness to submit that's the foundation for the brokenness of the world in the first place. Sin originally crept into the human story when people decided, I'm not submitting to God anymore. 
And sin still creeps its way into every single one of our stories when we hold a hand up to God and we say, hey man, I'm thankful for life. I'm really grateful for this universe you created, but I'm gonna take it from here. Like, I know you have ideas about how things should go and how they're designed to go, what's gonna bring life, what's gonna bring death, but I think I know a little better than you know how it works for me, so from now on, I'm calling the shots. We have this thing inside of us that elevates ourselves to God's position and then treats God and everybody else like we belong there. We understand the heart of the human problem has always been the problem of the human heart. The heart of the human problem has always been the problem of the human heart. Like my greatest struggle is that somewhere deep down in my heart, I want to be God and everybody else doesn't seem to think like I or seem to think I am. It is very annoying, right? And for you, whether you know it or not, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, that's your greatest struggle too. And so we got to see right at the outset, our uneasiness with that word submit, our unwillingness to do it is a form of idolatry. We want to worship ourselves and chase our own desires instead of worshiping God and living into the lives he says we were created for. Our problem with Paul saying submit to one another is a heart problem. I don't want to submit to anybody else. I want everybody else to submit to me. Now, to be fair, part of our problem with the idea of submitting to others also stems from the fact that we've seen a heart problem in other people and experienced it from them. Every single one of us has been on the receiving end of power that was abused and authority that was misused, and sometimes that's happened in the church. I don't think it would be fair for me at all to do a deep dive on Ephesians 5 and 6 without confessing to you guys that this passage has been misread, misused, and misunderstood by a whole lot of people who've done a whole lot of damage with it. They've read that word submit through the lens of their culture, through the lens of a shattered world, through the lens of a heart problem they weren't fully self-aware they had, and then decided it must mean there's a hierarchy to the universe. And they begin slotting people in to figure out who needs to submit to who and who gets to be the closest thing to God on this planet, preferably them. And they've done this and divided people up along every single line that could divide us and begun to abuse and oppress people based on their age, based on their gender, based on their socioeconomic status, based on their education level, based on the color of their skin. I just want to tell you this morning, I am so sorry for that. If somebody has taken the beautiful vision Paul lays out in Ephesians 5 and 6 of how we can live more fully alive and twisted that, if that's been part of your story, someone speaking death into you that there is a hierarchy of being human and you are not equal in the eyes of your creator, I'm sorry that happened to you because that is not what Paul's talking about here at all. He's actually casting a vision for all of us about how we can experience deeper and more meaningful connection as we add value to the people around us and create space in our lives for them to add value to us. 
in our marriages, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in our church. And over the course of this series, we're going to get really pragmatic about what this looks like in each one of those relational arenas. Next week, I'm going to talk about how to do some reassembly work in an imperfect marriage. So if you are married or you ever want to be, if you know somebody who wants to be married or know somebody who could use some repair in their marriage, bring them next week. Be here. You will not want to miss it. But this week, I just want to lay the groundwork by explaining what exactly Paul is inviting us into here. Because again, due to our selfish nature, due to the, the messed up reality of our world, we come at this idea of submission through our, our own filters. We all have these old tapes that play in our head that are based off of our life experiences. We have a grid that we inevitably read onto the words of the Bible. But if we can step back and zoom out from that for just a minute and see with fresh eyes, what we find is something beautiful, something that really is the surprising secret to every relationship ever. And so this morning, I just want to add as much clarity as I possibly can to what submission is and isn't, what it does and doesn't mean. Because I think if we can walk out of here with a clear picture, it will begin to transform every single relationship in our lives. All right, first thing I want us to see. Submission isn't losing power in our relationships, it's gaining power for our relationships. We tend to see submission as a one-way street, where the person who's under authority submits power over their life to the person who's in authority, and that power flows in a single direction, from kids to parents, from employees to boss, from citizens to government, from the bottom of the food chain to the top. And when we believe that there's some sort of hierarchy here, we think, if I'm not at the top, then I just have to let the person and the people above me walk all over me, undervalue me, use me and abuse me, step on me and treat me like dirt, because that's the way the Bible says I'm supposed to do it. Just lay there in the mud puddle and be quiet about it. That's your destiny. The problem is, That's not what Paul's saying, and this isn't a prescriptive passage, right? When Paul says, submit to one another in the context of family, in the context of friendship, in the context of work, it's not a prescriptive command like, hey, try really hard to do this, and then things will go better for you. In fact, it's almost the exact opposite. If we read it in its context, this isn't even something Paul thinks you're able to do all by yourself, no matter how hard you try. This is a description of what a life looks like when it's filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're living based on God's power instead of your own. Let me explain. I think that verse numbers and headings in our Bibles are super valuable because they help us reference things and understand big ideas. But one of the greatest disservices verse numbers and headings do in our Bibles is that sometimes they chop up and separate ideas that are actually connected. Chances are, if you're reading Ephesians 5, looking at it in your Bible right now, whether it's a paper Bible, remember those, those used to exist, or it's on your phone, there's a heading above verse 21 that says, instructions for Christian families, or something like that, right? Here's the deal, though. Verse 21 is not the beginning of a new section. I know that for a fact, because verse 21 isn't even the beginning of a new sentence, It gets translated as a standalone sentence in English because it makes it easier to read. But in the Greek, there's a comma before this, not a period. It's part of a run-on sentence that Paul started way back in verse 18. This is what we read in Ephesians 5, 18. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's the deal, and my fellow linguistics nerds can get excited and geek out on this with me. This phrase, if you map out the sentence, submit to one another, is a subordinate phrase. It's a participle, which means it has to hang on a main verb, and the last main verb we find is the imperative be filled in verse 18. For all of you who aren't linguistics nerds, all that mumbo jumbo boils down to this. What Ephesians 5, 18 through 21 says is you guys live full of the Holy Spirit by encouraging each other, worshiping God, cultivating gratitude, and putting other people's needs above your own. That's it. That's a single sentence, okay? Paul is writing about what life in the Holy Spirit looks like in the whole section that follows. It's all about relationships. Every single one of them in our lives is an illustration of the point that he's making, that we begin to live differently and love differently when we're full of the Spirit of God. You guys, Paul is not dug from up, okay? He wasn't writing like, be filled with the Holy Spirit, worship and stuff, squirrel. Oh, what was I even writing? There's no way to know now. It's not like I could go back and read it. I guess instructions for what you gotta do for your wife. That's not it. That's not the point. He's trying to give us a vision for what relationships look like when God is at the center, He's saying, look, when you live so full of the Holy Spirit of God that it overflows out of you, you begin to develop eyes that see all of the beauty in the world around you and all of the beauty in the people around you. And as that happens, you inevitably, naturally begin to ask this question of every single life that you crash into, how could I leverage myself to add value to them? And that question is not a directional question. It doesn't have anything to do with your position or your authority in the relationship. That's a two-way street type of a question. I can leverage myself for the sake of my kids. I can submit my life to my children to help them be and become more than they are right now. And my submission to them looks different than their submission to me. It doesn't mean letting them walk all over me and do whatever they want because I don't know if you've met my kids. They are dumb sometimes. Like, 40 donuts in a day would be bad for their health. And so sometimes saying no, even when I'm well aware that they're going to complain and whine about it and it's going to cost me my mental and emotional peace, sometimes I can submit my peace and my comfort to my kids in order to bless them. They add value to my life in a different way than I add value to theirs. But by the power of the Holy Spirit alive in me, I can continually look at them through the lens of self-sacrifice and ask the question, how can I spend me to bless them. I don't lose any power or any authority in that exchange. See, ultimately, you guys, submitting isn't about power. It's about posture. And when we take this posture of using our roles, our gifts, our abilities to bless the people around us, and we all take that posture in community alongside one another, then we don't end up losing power in our relationships. We end up gaining God's power for our relationships. We add something to everybody's life we crash into. And we create space in our own souls for them to add something to us as well. Second thing I want to clarify. Submission isn't giving in to somebody else's agenda. It's opting in to God's agenda. God has a purpose for every single relationship in our lives. 
And the kind of submission Paul's inviting us into here is about setting aside our personal agenda and getting on to God's agenda. And the beauty for that is that God's agenda for every relationship you have is that it would make you more than you could ever be on your own. It's actually the picture we get from the word Paul uses for submit. It's this Greek word, hubatasso. It was a military term that meant setting aside your own self-interest for the common good. That's how the army works, right? You don't go to bed when you want. You don't wake up when you want. You don't drill when you want. You don't fight when you want. You don't eat when you want. You submit your life to a cause that's bigger than yourself. And this was a particularly powerful image in the Greco-Roman world because hupotasso was a word that originally referred to the system of Greek warriors forming a phalanx. If you've seen the movie Alexander or 300 or Troy, you've seen a phalanx. It was this incredible military invention that allowed Alexander the Great to conquer most of the known world in a matter of years. It allowed 300 Spartans to stand against a million-man Persian army at Thermopylae. It was like, for the youths in here, it was like the original OP battle formation, okay? And here's what happened. The Greek warriors would all get together tightly, and they would hold their shields and interlock them. And every man's shield protected the men next to him, knee to neck. The first line would use swords under the shields. The second line would use spears over the shields. And everyone behind them just pushed forward. And it was this amazingly brilliant invention that allowed the Greek armies to be more than the sum of their parts. But if even one guy decided not to do it, if one of them was looking out for his own interest and didn't hupatasso submit to the men around him, absolutely everybody was in danger. But as they sacrificed themselves and their self-interest for the sake of the men next to them, and as the men next to them did the same, they won incredible military victories because they were more than they could have been on their own. It is not an accident at all that Paul uses the word hupatasso to describe this vision of mutual submission. He's saying this is what life looks like when we're fully alive. We are fighting alongside one another. We are fighting for one another. We are going further and becoming more than we ever could if we were all alone. And you guys, that's God's vision from the beginning. In Genesis, after God makes Adam, he says, man, it's not good for him to be alone. Everything in creation was good or very good right up to that point. But loneliness wasn't. We were created for each other. We need each other. Even though we don't always do a good job of recognizing that. If you guys are anything like me, it's hard sometimes to see people through the lens of how I need them. And it's easier to see people through the lens of how I can use them. To build some sort of a pyramid where I am at the top. But as we begin to see people through God's eyes and begin to see the beauty of the world around us, we realize what a gift we've been given in one another And we opt in to God's agenda, this mutual submission for the sake of the people around us and all of us become more than we ever could be on our own. Last thing I want to clarify this morning, submission isn't becoming less of yourself. It's becoming more like Jesus. I don't know if you guys can remember all the way back to to last week. It was a long time ago, so I'll forgive you if you can't, but let me catch you up real quick. Last week we celebrated this one thing when um, the only human that ever lived that deserved to be on the top of the ladder and make everyone submit 
completely reversed the order of things in the ultimate act of submission. Jesus submitted his life so that we could be free. And as I think back on that, I'm convinced that we are never more fully alive and we are never more like Jesus than when we're doing that exact same thing, when we're spending ourselves for the sake of the people around us. No matter how many Bible studies we go to, how many religious boxes we check, how many spiritual disciplines we do, I think it is our self-sacrifice that most powerfully and effectively reflects our self-sacrificial savior to the world. One of the coolest examples is found in the book of Acts. Uh, in Acts 6, we read about the, the church just absolutely exploding. Things are going great. People are joining every day. It's unbelievable. But there's these people who have need, these widows who are getting like, ignored, and, and they're not getting fed in the way the church promised they should be fed. And the disciples realize that like, feeding widows and preaching and praying and leading and trying to do everything is too much for them. And so they're like, hey, it would not be right for us to neglect praying and preaching in order to feed widows. So what if we appointed some other leaders to take care of that? And it's this incredible moment in the history of the church where the burden of leadership gets shared and new leaders get raised up. And it's beautiful as the disciples lean in to the unique role God's given them and equip other people to do the unique role God has given them. But something crazy happens. The entire book of Acts has been the story of the disciples right up to this point. And then after they decide that they're going to pray and preach and other people are going to feed widows, they functionally disappear from the story for three chapters. Acts 7, Acts 8, Acts 9, half of Acts 6 become the stories of Stephen and Philip, who just so happened to be two of the leaders who got appointed to feed widows. And don't get me wrong, I don't think it was wrong or incorrect at all for the disciples to delegate responsibility. It's beautiful that leadership got shared and other leaders got raised up, but I also don't think it's an accident or we should be even mildly surprised that all of the action happened in the lives and in the spaces where people were rolling up their sleeves and getting up underneath the burdens of those around them because we are never more like Jesus than when we're serving. And almost as though he intends to drive this exact point home, Luke, the author of Acts, reintroduces the disciples in Acts chapter nine. It's Peter who shows up, except he's not at home in Jerusalem. He's not praying in his prayer closet and he's not preaching from his pulpit. Peter shows up in the story again only when he leaves the comfort of a safe space and walks out to a place that is frankly dangerous for him because there's a need only he can meet. There's this lady named Dorcas in the church in Joppa and she dies and the church freaks out like, Peter, you gotta come visit us. A couple observations. Number one, Dorcas is a terrible name. It's a word that means gazelle in Greek, and I will never understand how a Greek person looked at a creature as majestic as a gazelle and was like, looks like a Dorcas to me. Let's, let's call it that. But that has nothing to do with anything. All right, the, the church, right, asked for Peter to come because they were not okay after Dorcas died, and they were not okay because she is somebody who submitted herself to the people around them. She gave absolutely everything she had to be a blessing to her community and everything she had was the ability to sow. That's all she could do. And so she literally made underwear for widows. That's what the Bible says. It uses the word negligee. She, she did it and, and Peter shows up and all these widows run in and they are holding their underwear. They're like, look, Peter, see what she made. You gotta raise her from the dead. And Peter's like, get them old lady underwears out of my face. 
I'm not doing anything until you get the underwear out of here. Go. He's like, but the thing is, I probably should raise her from the dead. We can't have naked widows running around. And then this thing happens. And the way Luke writes it makes it impossible to miss. The first thing Peter does is he sends almost everybody out of the room, which is the exact same thing he had witnessed Jesus do many years earlier when a temple official named Jairus had a daughter who died. The next thing Peter does is hit his knees, which is exactly what Jesus did with Jairus' daughter. And then he lays hands on her, which is exactly what Jesus did with Jairus' daughter. And when Jesus looked at Jairus' daughter with his hand on her, he said, Talitha kum. It means, little girl, get up. And Peter looked at Dorcas, whose Hebrew name was Tabitha, and he said the words, Tabitha kum. And he raised her from the dead, just like Jesus did with Jairus' daughter, using the exact same method and the exact same words. And you guys, I don't believe there's one moment in Peter's life, not from his first breath to his last breath, not even when he was out there walking on the water, that Peter was more like Jesus than he was right here when he risked his life, hit his knees, and spent himself to be a blessing to the people around him and meet the needs that only he could meet. Like, what is the surprising secret to every relationship ever? What's step one for reassembling the brokenness in our lives? It's not easy. It's not simple. Or it's it's not comfortable, but it is simple. It's submit. Submit to one another. Not because one another deserves it. We absolutely don't. But because Jesus does. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because I think if you do, as you do, as we do this, we will find that we not only add more value to the people around us than we ever did before, but we live more fully alive. And if you don't believe that can happen, I challenge you to try it this week. In fact, I have a really simple way for you to do it. We have a resource table at the back. Every week during the course of this series, there's going to be some sort of a resource back there. And today's resource is really simple. It's just a coupon like the kind you used to make for your parents when you were a little kid and you couldn't afford a present. Like, I'll take out the trash this week or I'll give you a back rub. And you're like, oh, thank you. But anyways, this coupon's a little bit different than that because you got to give it to somebody and then you have to do something for them instead of them doing something for you. It just says, how can I serve you right now? And I want to challenge every single person in here to grab one of those before you leave. And this week, hand it to somebody. Maybe somebody with whom you have a relationship that requires a little bit of reassembly. Hand it to them and submit. Just do whatever they ask you and see what happens. And in order to make sure that none of you forget to do this or forget to grab one on the way out, six of those have 20 bucks taped to the back of them. All right? I know you're thinking that seems like a manipulative and shameless way to get us to pick those up. I don't want to tell you, you are right. It 100% is. And if you're surprised by it, you haven't been around revision very long. I don't mind being manipulative and shameless because I absolutely believe that this will make a bigger difference than you can possibly imagine. So grab one of these before you go. Hand it to somebody. Do it. If you get the 20 bucks, you should buy them dinner or lunch because I bought their meal. So just do that, all right? But grab one, do it, and see what God does. Watch how it begins to heal the cracks in that relationship. Will you just pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for serving us. Thank you for coming and giving your life in the ultimate act of submission. Thank you for loving us so much that you were willing to pay everything to be reconciled to us. Lord, would we just have that same spirit in our interactions and our relationships with others? 
Help us see through your eyes. Fill us to overflowing with your spirit so we can ask the question of every person we crash into, man, how can I leverage myself to add value to them? Help us do that together in community to fight alongside one another and become more than we could ever be on our own. Thank you for community. Thank you for not abandoning us to our sin. Thank you for not abandoning us to our selfishness. Thank you for giving us the gift of one another. Lord, will we use that gift in a way that honors you and helps us live more fully alive by spending ourselves for the sake of the people around us, just like you did. We praise in Jesus' name.